Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainer writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this episode on Wednesday, July 6, 2022. Lots of Marvel-related stuff on the horizon, folks. I mean, I don't need to tell you that just a day or two up the line, uh, Friday, July 8th, we get Thor Love and Thunder arriving at theaters. But then uh, immediately after that, on Wednesday, July 13th, we get the sixth and final episode of what I, me personally am hoping is season one of Ms. Marvel that, that debuts on Disney+. Plus. And then the day after that, Thursday, July 14th, the Disney Wish Heads out on its maiden voyage and five-day cruise to Nassau, Bahamas, and Disney's Castaway Key. The first members of the public will then get to experience with the Worlds of Marvel Cinematic Dining Show, which Aaron and I will talk about at length on the second half of today's show. And then finally, six days after that, Wednesday, July 20th, we get the Avengers Campus at Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris officially opening. But again, lots of, of Marvel-related news happening in the month of June. And speaking of news, news portion of this week's Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. And speaking of books, obviously Aaron and I are going to talk about episodes four and five of Ms. Marvel, second half of today's show, which I thought previously was doing a great job of bumping out the world and the cast, but these last two episodes are just crazy. But the bar for these limited series from uh, Marvel Studios was already so high. I mean, think about it. We've already had WandaVision, Loki, Hawkeye, Moon Knight. And, of course, the first of these to premiere on the streaming service was WandaVision. That showed up in January of 2021. We got nine episodes, and... That wrapped uh, March 5th of that same year. And, but then two weeks later, we got Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which debuted March 19th, 2021, just six episodes, and then and wrapped in April of last year. And I, I bring that up because just this week, on Tuesday, June 28th, Marvel's Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the art of the series book, finally hit store shelves. And that's 14, 15 months after the show debuted or finished its run on Disney+. And it's a beautiful 224-page hardcover. It does an amazing job of reminding you what the, the, the poor slobs who worked on Falcon and the Winter Soldier went through. I mean, I, I think we reported on this in real time back in the day, Erin, where they were literally all getting ready to go get on the plane to go to Puerto Rico. And only to then there was the earthquake. And, you know, so it's like, okay, we're going to go to Prague instead. And then while they're in Prague, you know, word comes down that it's a pandemic, go home. And they stop shooting for five months. And none of that shows up on screen. It's still... A wonderful show. Anthony Mackie does an amazing job as Sam Wilson. Likewise, Sebastian Stan is Bucky Barnes. And what's great about this book is they walk you through. I, I'm almost embarrassed sometimes that the artistic choices that are so obvious when they point it out to you. Like, for example, in The Winter Soldier, you know that Bucky is the villain, you know, because his hair is long. 
Going into Falcon and the Winter Soldier, one of the choices is, well, Bucky's redeeming himself, so he has to go get a haircut. You sure, know. well, that's a sign of a respectable human being. Well, there we go. Which is why I've got very long hair. Um, so in one of the original, uh, let's see, the Spider-Man from 2002, they were going to make uh, a clear mask for a brief second, and that's kind of you know one of those things that they decided not to do. Mm-hmm. In this book... Mm-hmm. Did did you get to glean any where they almost went one direction that could have been a tragic, horrible mistake, like a clear mask for Spider-Man that was red and, and you could still see his face underneath? Did they do anything really almost heinous to uh, the Winter Soldier or to uh, Falcon? What's great about this book is that it's the filmmakers walking through. And in fact, the very thing that you, Aaron, you know, cited almost from the very first episode about that amazing stunt sequence where you first really get to see Anthony Mackie in action in this limited series, where he's trying to to rescue the guy who's been, uh, you know, they're flying him over the border, and they do that flying suit sequence. So let's stop here for just a second, because I want to ask about a logistic here. Mm -hmm. You remember back in the day when Tom Cruise jumped from one rock to another really high up, and everyone's (laughs) like, oh, we can't insure this guy. He's a wacko, right? That's crazy. Mm -hmm. He's a rock jumper. And now we've got guys at Marvel. Mm. Hey, I got a guy in a wingsuit. What's that? I stick out your arms and you kind of glide along. Okay, what do you want to do with it? I want to fly him into a helicopter, like one that's on the ground. No one that's actually flying with the with the blades going everything. And you're like, how much feet of clearance do you have before you have an accident? Uh, maybe two feet, three feet. You know, it's like somehow that got that conversation happened. And it still got greenlit to go, yeah, let's go ahead with that. Where we could have people puree rain down upon whatever's below if we screw this up. They talk with pride in this book about how when you've got somebody in the Anthony Mackie Falcon suit who's legitimately falling, said you get shots that you just can't get. From green screen, and it, it made for a much better sequence that way. Sure. Probably part of the reason why Top Gun Maverick's so hot right now is because they actually flew real airplanes and did real things, and people are like, holy c- did you see that? Yeah. And yeah. and I think that's part of that spectacle of, I mean, I, I do remember when that person entered the helicopter through the side, and I was just like, that is some of the best effects work because I can't see anything that, I mean, it looked too real almost to be like, did they film that on a GoPro? That's what it felt like. And to find out that crap, they kind of practically did, Mm -hmm. you know? And and it's just like, geez, I mean, the, the, and I know that there are stunt performers out there that glide within inches of disaster Mm -hmm. and that's their thing. And, and, you know, they found this team that was willing to do that. And they were like, hey, can we film you doing it one time? We'll pay, a, you know, a couple grand and, and or whatever it took. Mm-hmm. And then they got the shot. So, I mean, s- some amazing stuff. And if you talk with folks at, at Marvel Studios, they are very proud of the legion of stunt performers they have. And, and they said, they are steadily employed. Well, sure. All the heroes and all the villains and all the henchmen that you got to yeah. take down to get to the bad guy. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, they so the, 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 these are folks who get lots of practice. But anyway, uh, the circle back to the book. And yes, it, it is somewhat frustrating that it took 14 or 15 months to, to, for this to finally arrive. And they're having the exact same issues with the WandaVision art of book. 
That didn't show up till March of this year. And the Loki book, which I'm really looking forward to, that doesn't get here till October of this year. And the same thing's going on with the Shang-Chi art of book. That doesn't show up till December 27th of this year, which, which at least now I know what I'll be spending those Amazon cards I always get for Christmas on. Now, are, are these all problems due to COVID? All these delays? Was this poor planning? Was this stuff stuck on a ship somewhere outside of California? What was... All what? of the above, actually. Oh, yes. okay. Everything, you know, when I, I talk with folks at, at, on the publishing side of Marvel, some of it is supply chain issues. Some of it is that the books are, are published in places like Turkey, which, again, given the pandemic and what's going on with shipping. And then there's the frustration that... Kevin Feige likes keeping secrets. And so the whole notion of if we put the making a book out in the same window of time as right. the film or the TV series, and again, given these things have to arrive six weeks out ahead anyway. So Kevin kind of, it's like, yeah, those don't need to be there immediately. Exactly, because I was kind of thinking it, it doesn't seem all that odd with them being late, because it seems like they've got the same problem with toys in general right now, is oh. everything in the movie has got to be such a secret that we can't release any of the basic toys until, like, the, you know, a couple weeks after, before everyone's been able to see it. I don't know if you saw the story just this past week about the Wakanda Forever toys, are starting to bubble up in ways, you know, the, with the understanding that, you know, they want uh, for the retail channels to, to be able to order these things. And the problem is that if you can get a hold of the same things that the big boxes like the Targets and the Walmarts can, mm -hmm. you can read the outside of the boxes. And there are folks who are looking at these things going, hey, hello, Namor. <laughs> You know, that, oh, that, yeah, right. Well, you know. I think we already knew that Namor was the thing because you reported, you know, a couple months ago now about the uh, the, the pool set, mm -hmm. right? The, uh, likewise, uh, you know, there's been, I want to say, uh, Tinoch Horda? Is that how we pronounce his name? That's supposedly the actor who's who's been tagged for this. But speaking of Wakanda forever, and I, I'm asking... You about this story as a radio professional, because did you <laughs> see the Howard Stern story? I did, and I immediately interpreted mm. the story that the way a rational human being should interpret it. Please okay. go ahead. Well, okay. Now, I'm, I'm sharing the version of this story that was published by the New York Post. This happened Thursday of last week, June 30th. And so it's Howard in the middle of doing his daily Sirius XM satellite radio show. And they go to commercial. So Robin Quivers, his longtime co-host, uh, assumes that the mics are off. And proceeds to just, you know, casually chatting with Howard, you know, to the effect of, okay, so what are your plans for the summer? And Howard, into what supposedly a hot mic says, says, well, I'm going to do Dr. Doom. But believe me, I'm effing miserable about it. He then turns to Gary Delabati, his longtime producer, and mentions that he reached out to Robert Downey Jr. Again, to the effect of, you know, how do you act in an MCU film? And Robert gave him some advice. And, and then he turns to Gary and says, by the way, do you have John Favreau's contact info? Because I'd like to talk to him too. And it's at this moment, evidently, that somebody notices 
the mic is open and they shut it down. But that right. made it out mm. on air. And mm. does that sound legit to you? Well, I'll tell you, this happened, the, the same story happened two different ways in the same building, just okay. right down the hall. I'm going to leave the names out of it to keep people innocent because F-bombs were dropped on public airwaves. And, mm -hmm. you know, if people wanted to complain to the FCC, they could have at that moment. But mm -hmm. anyway, when we switched over to a digital system and it okay. was all touchscreen, mm -hmm. you didn't actually pot down your microphone and, and turn it off. You just tapped a screen and it said the mic was off. Oh. And uh, our rock station hosts were speaking to callers. Mm -hmm. And as they were being jovial... They were throwing F-bombs left and right, and uh, it was all being broadcast over the air, and they had no idea. Mm -hmm. And this went on for about 15 to 20 minutes before someone came bursting into the studio uh, and, you know, very quietly was like, just stop talking mm -hmm. and get out of the room. <laughs> now, on the flip side of that, mm -hmm. just down the hall, uh, we had a, a morning host who would love to do a good prank. Okay. And so he would say, uh-oh, mic's broken. I can't turn it off. All right, well, here's the Beatles, and uh, we're going to try and figure things out. And then he would start playing the song, and he'd go, all right, Julie, what's, what's the answer for our super hard trivia? Uh, bacon fat. All right, that sounds good. All right, here, we're coming out of the song. All right, and our super hard trivia today is what is? And then he would ask the question, and everybody knew bacon fat because he just said it. And it, it was just a lark that he could fool around for a day and play different pranks on people Mm -hmm. with this device of, of, oops, our mic is stuck open. Mm -hmm. And so uh, either way it can happen. I think that Howard Stern doesn't need to pull a stunt mm -hmm. right now to get attention. Okay. He's too far in his career, mm -hmm. and he just doesn't give a shit okay. about that. Mm -hmm. So I think the situation is legitimate, and mm -hmm. I think Howard will appear in a movie in a very small, limited role, and he's very insecure about his mm -hmm. little three minutes in a giant billion-dollar Marvel movie. Thank you for saying that, because that, that, I've been working my trap line, and evidently that's what this is. Now, mind you, I want to stress here that, that Kevin Feige does sometimes make some interesting casting choices. Remember that Bill Murray is supposedly playing a bad guy in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, that, that, which out in theaters February of 2023, but very doubtful that Howard Stern is playing Dr. Doom. because I, I mean, mean, Robert Redford played a bad guy in yeah. one of our movies, right? I mean, anyway, and it's just like, I swear to God, if Howard Stern plays mm -hmm. physically Dr. Doom, yep. I will eat my own foot. <laughs> I mean, like, I cannot imagine anyone in the casting office going, who should we get for Dr. Doom? Who should we get for Dr. Doom? Unless, mm -hmm. and this is just really, could I mean, the, man, this would be insane thought process, but if someone did it, kudos mm -hmm. for thinking outside the box. Mm -hmm. If you're going to put the dude in a mask, what if he's just the voice? Ooh. Hmm. Right? Who, who gives a crap then? Uh, and he's and he's gonna be he's gonna be Doctor Doom. He's just the voice, and they and they can put him through some metallic sounding thing mm -hmm. to make him sound you know a little bit weird. But they've got a super famous voice, 
And uh, I'm sure he can rant and rave with the best of them, right? It's Howard freaking Stern. So uh, who knows? Who knows? Well, now you see, that's interesting because think about it. He's the James Earl Jones of the Doctor Doom. Well, I I would actually, you know, go in the other direction. If you think about what James Spader did. Oh, yeah, for Ultron, sure. Yeah, I mean, and, and that was an absolutely killer villain. Yeah, yeah, he, he yeah. did an amazing job. All right, lots to think about there. Okay, well, the other thing that's being floated is that supposedly what Howard is talking about here is that in much the same tradition of what happened at the original Avengers, where we got our, our just our little taste of Thanos in that mid credit scene, you know, which then set up the, the whole arc that would then play out over Infinity Wars and Endgame. Supposedly, what they may do is literally have Howard play himself. And he's somebody he's interviewing is revealed to be Dr. Doom. And, you know, we just get that little taste at the end of of the show. And given what they just did with J. Jonah Jameson, with J.K. Simmons coming back as that character... It's like, okay, maybe, maybe they're going to go this way. It's just enough information to be confused, which brings us to our next news item. Literally within 24 hours of each other, we did their story broke once again. That's, you know, here is Ryan Reynolds supposedly trying to get Hugh Jackman to reprise his role as Wolverine in Deadpool 3. And and Hugh, who's on Broadway now in the music band, evidently played along. And you know, so posted a picture on Twitter of himself looking at his phone with the news breaking about I'm in Deadpool 3. Well, that's interesting. But within the same 24-hour period, we had Taryn Egtron, who did the wonderful job in, in Rocket Man, in an interview with the New York Times, no less. He talked about how he had met with Kevin Feige to discuss taking over the role of Wolverine in a future MCU movie. <laughs> and Kevin Feige gave him a hearty pat on the back and said, thanks for stopping by, kid. Door's <laughs> over this way. Let me show it to you. He's a fine actor. I don't see him as Wolverine. But again, you know, nobody saw Hugh Jackman as Wolverine was he when he was announced, and now he's irreplaceable, right? So uh, anybody can surprise you. You know, Heath Ledger is the Joker. Everybody thought it was crazy, and then all of a sudden, oh my God, it's the most amazing thing ever. But an mm-hmm. actor can surprise you when they're committed to mm-hmm. giving it their all. So who knows? We live in strange times. Which, by the way, Jeff Snyder of the Ankler, literally this afternoon was sharing info about what's going on with Spunk, the Sony Pictures universe of Marvel characters. And they're kind of still dealing with the the aftermath of, well, the the internet says that they'd go to Morbius if we put it out in theaters again. (laughs) (laughs) So that worked out so well. And you got to picture the executives at Sony who are watching the gentle minions, the, all those t- teenage boys who are dressing up in suits to go see Minions Rise of Gru. And it's like, well, mm. wait a minute. Why did their online thing work out and ours didn't? What? What? How did that happen? But Craven is largely in the can at this point. Madam Webb. Wait, are they going to change? Is Craven going to be the snuggly guy? The I mean, because he's no longer the hunter, right? He's a friend to animals. Is it, is it Craven the, the snuggler? 
I don't know what to tell you. I mean, right now, when, when they talk about it online, is it just Craven? Quote, just unquote? Craven. Just All right, Craven. So no subtitles, no... Nope. Not yet. Alrighty. Not yet. Not same, same for Madam Web as well, correct? Just Madam Web? Quote, just Madam Web. No. And, All, right. All right. And by the way, Madam Web actually starts shooting next week up in my neck of the woods in Boston. It, it, it gets underway July 11th, and they're going to be shooting in and around Massachusetts through September. And I was just pointing out to Nancy that it's like, oh, they're looking for extras. So if anybody wants to go down to the set and tell us what they saw, that would be killer. But at the same time, Sony, obviously on the heels of the giant pile of money that No Way Home made. And remember, they're looking forward to the even, you know, even more money they'll be making later this summer when the extra extended all fun stuff edition of No Way Home goes up back out into theaters. Best case scenario of re-releasing a movie with extra scenes, mm-hmm. like uh, George Lucas did it, right, when he gave us the special edition of Star Wars. He did. What could what could Sony hope for best case scenario? $100 million, $200, 500 million? What's what's the the top realistically? Bar there? I have heard that they will be able to make over over and around the Memorial Day weekend thirty to fifty million dollars stateside, and then overseas a similar number. So I mean, it's 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 only potentially going to be a hundred million dollars. Yeah, but I mean that makes the the effort worth it in that instance. There we go. And right. at a time when theaters around the country are looking for that last little bit of summer ticket sales, it's like cool. Come back to the theater, see this movie. But at the same time, the theater owners are like, oh great, an even longer version of No Way Home. No, <laughs> I'll know? tell you, Jim. Back in the old days, uh, Spider Man Two, when the two point one came out was it on on dvd if i could have seen that extended doc ock battle scene in theaters i'm certain i would have plunked my money down back then and the Mm -hmm. only reason i don't think i'm going to be able to this time around Mm -hmm. is just due to time requirement required to get to a theater for me right now is kind of tough i know i get that i do i do i don't know i think yeah i think i would be in the crowd if i could okay well no no speaking of which getting back to sony and and again the the spunk they very much want to get a new Spider-Man trilogy in the works. A couple episodes ago, remember when we said Venom was going to be done at three? Yep. And I said, no, they're not. They're going to they're going to stop at three, and then they're going to give you three more for a mm-hmm. total of six. You just said that about Spider-Man. They want a new trilogy. They do. right. They mm-hmm. can't. They can't think past threes. And I'm mildly disappointed that it's it's all about. I mean. They got to play the numbers. They got to figure out a budget. They got to build a a thing. So it Mm -hmm. needs a blueprint and trilogies are easy, but it's so formulaic. And if Marvel's not heavily involved in, in the Spider-Man thing, they could, it could all go sour on them. Like the way some of their side characters are, are underperforming. Well, interesting. You say that because Mr. Holland has not signed with Sony yet. And supposedly one of the reasons that Mr. Holland has not signed with Sony is he has the very same concerns that you do, that the good Spider-Man movies have been made with the involvement of, you know, heavy involvement of Sony. Mm -hmm. And right now... uh, Excuse me, uh, Marvel, my my mistake. And, all right, we're going to do another trilogy, so you're getting... Feige in here, right? We're going to talk about stories and we're going to talk about bringing in people from the MCU, not just Madam Webb and Craven, right? 
And evidently, he's not getting the answers he wants to hear. And Tom's evidently a little ticked off about how Sony has been limiting his ability to do Disney-related stuff. And remember, we, we just last year, with the opening of the Avengers Campus, finally got the Web Slingers attraction open in Anaheim. And by the way, mm. that'll be opening later this month. They'll be opening a version at Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris. But Tom was originally supposed to also be featured in the Worlds of Marvel cinematic dining experience. Peter Parker was supposed to show up as part of the film moments of that show. And evidently, Sony made it so difficult that Disney finally, well, to hell with it. And, and they had written all these gags about Peter Parker being so happy that I've never been on a cruise ship before. And, oh, I'm feeling a little seasick and, you know, that sort of thing. Right. And all they decided to do, it's like, okay, well, Sony won't let us have a Tom Holland. Fine. We've got Iman Vellani, you know, playing Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel. And it's like, just take all of the Peter Parker lines and give them to Iman. And by the way, when we get back from this break, Aaron and I will talk about the last couple of episodes of Miss Marvel, and also the worlds of Marvel cinematic dining experience aboard the Disney Wish. Tail end of episode uh, four of Ms. Marvel. Did you have a Gone with the Wind moment? The pulling out from the train and showing the giant, you know, uh, you know, the, 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 the huge... throng of people. Yes, yes. Yes. You know, it was, it was one of these things where just that episode alone, I don't know how much of it was actually shot on location, mm -hmm. but they did such a, an amazing job of making the world of Karachi seem so vivid yeah. and, but at the same time, balancing it out with these beautiful family driven, moments mm -hmm. but but to then end on that image where it's like i i was trying to think that sort of scale stuff you don't typically do for television and i get this is subscription streaming service and i get this is marvel studios right. but even so that sort of shot which i thought when we looked at some of the stuff that was in Episode five that dropped today on Disney Plus and the crowds making their way to the train station or for that matter, the the scenes of Kamala trying to, you know, again, I don't want to spoil too much here, you know, seeking out relatives. I was just kind of floored by the ambition and the scale of this. Well, I think that in the exact same way that the creative or the director of um, Moon Knight Mm -hmm. He was very, very adamant that he wanted to see the real Egypt. Mm -hmm. And he kind of mentioned that in all the movies, Egypt is shot, or the, the pyramids are shot from the desert side, but mm -hmm. you never see it from the city side because the city goes right up to the pyramids. And mm -hmm. you know, that's real Egypt. Um, I think when, you know, someone's trying to, and, and I think also Marvel's trying to do a very decent job of mm -hmm. letting a culture be represented to its mm -hmm. fullest. Mm -hmm. 
to let us experience these things that you know I've never seen before. I've never got to travel to mm. these exotic locations, and they're gorgeous. Oh yeah! And it makes me long to go to these places. You were talking with Len recently on Disney mm. Dish about how he went to Norway mm. and got stopped at customs. Why are you here? <laughs> I saw this place in Epcot and thought it was so cool. I wanted to see it in real life, and the guy was like, "What? It's a wonderful episode of Disney yeah. Dish. Please go listen to it after mm. you get done with this episode." But um, same thing. When I see this episode of, of Miss Marvel, I, I, I feel like I want to go there mm-hmm. and experience it for myself because it's just stinking gorgeous. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, and also, you know, like we were just talking a few moments ago, they were willing to risk making people puree with a helicopter with mm-hmm. one wrong move with Falcon and Winter Soldier. Flying people to India doesn't seem that far <laughs> away from, you know, that's just like a small thing now mm-hmm. with, with, with the caliber of what they're trying to pull off. Mm-hmm. Flying someone to a location just doesn't seem like it's a thing anymore. And, uh, I, you know, I mean, well, they're in Australia, you know, doing these shoots down there. They're in England. They're in Atlanta. Um, no, no, they're no. where they need to be. I, I get that. I do. But at the same time, what they've done with Ms. Marvel, I think about how much, how many people have been exposed to the history of, of India and Pakistan, or, you know, who knew nothing of the Great Partition, who, you know, are, are getting an education with the show. Coupled with, I love these slices of life of getting to see what it's like to be a teenage Pakistani Muslim girl and right. how respectful they are of the world at the same time, how genuinely enter- entertaining and funny Ms. Villani is. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's a it's an absolutely killer performance. She is such a real teenage girl. I, yeah, I had the exact same. I've got a friend with a daughter, like same age, mm-hmm. and it made me think. You know, oh, this reminds me of M because yeah. she's just got that vibe of she's she doesn't know who she is yet. She's trying to figure herself out. The world's mm-hmm. got a billion options in front of you, kid. What do you want to do? I've got no idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, just trying to sort out today can I do today? <laughs> and I feel that, you know, she's got a very authentic quality to her, like mm-hmm. you said. No, absolutely. I mean, I just, I know we said this at the end of, you know, when we were, you know, at, at episode five of Moon Knight and they were teeing up six and it's like, there's a part of me, it's like, I don't want this to be over. Sure. I get it. We are going to see Ms. Villani in the Marvels next summer. And, you know, that will be cool, but it's just sort of like, this is a great character and that th- this is a, a very vivid world. And I really, I really enjoy her family. In fact, I, it was so much fun after the first four episodes of watching Kamala's mom, Buster Chops, to suddenly watch, you know, the mom be back with her mother. Sure. And, and, and to watch the exact, in fact, that, that there's a wonderful line from the tail end of the episode and, and Kamala finally comes home and talking to her mom, you look upset for some reasons, and she's, well, you know mothers. You know, mm. just sort of like, you know, what, what I do to you, my mother has been doing to me. And it's like, have a toffee. It's just wonderfully assured storytelling of vivid world, great cast, killer visuals. We said the exact same thing about Moon Knight and, and the whole notion of the fact that, that Marvel Studios can deliver this level of quality with these limited series, it's just kind of stunning. Have you picked up yet on the fact that she is building her costume piece by piece at the moment, episode by episode? Oh, dang. It, 
no, so, but I'm thank sorry, you for pointing that. No, that's a, that. No, I love that because it, it now the you know the the, the scarf that the yeah uh, yeah. Well, it starts with the mask, and then right. she got the red uh, top. I don't know what the official name for the top would be, mm-hmm. but yeah, and then the the scarf that goes along with it, and then she'll get a couple more pieces, I'm sure, to finish it off. Because in the the promo mm-hmm. footage that they have for, they have her in her final costume, mm-hmm. which looks really great, and I can't wait to see its its final form show up on screen. But I've been enjoying the pieces as they come together and you start to recognize, ah, there's a glimpse. Okay, cool. They just had last week the press preview for the Disney Wish. And they, you know, a bunch of media types got out of the boat and went through all three. Well, they do this thing on the Disney cruise ship called rotational dining. And the gimmick is that from night to night, you move, you know, from one restaurant to the next restaurant to the next restaurant. But the interesting thing is the staff stays with you. So the gentleman who's serving your your dinner knows, okay, this is the guy who wants the Diet Coke, no ice. And you you get top service that way. But The Wish has three rotational dining opportunities. There's the 1923, which is their upscale quiet restaurant. Uh, another night you get to go to Arendelle, a frozen dining adventure, and that's just basically dinner theater that they perform. It's cast members dressed as Anna, Elsa, Sven, and the, the bunch, and they perform numbers from Frozen and, and Frozen 2. And then there is Worlds of Marvel, which Disney is promoting as its first cinematic dining adventure. And and what that means, Aaron, is that you are in this relatively narrow restaurant space. In fact, this actually keys off of something that was done on the other four Disney boats, the artist palette. Uh, the idea is that at each table, there's a giant screen that sort of looms up. And they you know, would show animated footage. In fact, the end of the evening, they would do this thing where you had drawn a character on your placemat and they had spirited it away. And then as you sat at your table, you watched the character that you had drawn and be animated in front of you. It would sing, dance, that sort of thing. It was a cool effect. So they wanted to revisit this idea, dining next to giant screens on the Disney Wish, and they wanted to really lean into their first Marvel-based experience. So what they've done is they, they've broken it up into uh, three acts. You go to this Worlds of Marvel uh, restaurant, which, by the way, the menu is supposedly influenced by places you've seen in the Marvel movies. So you got a shawarma shop, right? Well, actually, I, I think you get get shawarma on board, but I, I want to okay. say they, they have menu items that are influenced by uh, Wakanda. Uh, Ant-Man's uh, tacos that he hands off to Hulk there. <laughs> I wish. You see, you're zeroing into the food that I want, you know. Right, yeah, uh, yeah. But on the other hand, they have chicken schnitzel that supposedly has come from Sokovia. And meanwhile, while you're being served your, your Marvel-inspired food, you have Scott Lang and, and Hope Van Dyne, who are supposedly live casting to the room from the Marvel Superhero Academy, which is a couple of decks below this restaurant. And they got Paul Rudd to come back and do Scott Lang. Uh, Evangeline Lilly, likewise, is there to do Hope Van Dyne. 
And then later in the show, you get to see Scott Mackey as Captain America, Sam Wilson. We've already talked about him, Milan Villani as Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan. And then batting cleanup uh, <laughs> is Brie Larson as Captain America, uh, Carol Dandrews. And uh, we were talking about James Spader uh, just a moment ago, and that what makes that interesting is the big bad for this show is Ultron, an army of his clones, and who's there to steal quantum tech? Anyway, the show, as you might expect, is a Disney dinner theater thing on a cruise. Starts off silly. Scott is there doing a Miracles from Molecules presentation, which, by the way, is the name of the song that the Sherman Brothers wrote for the Adventures Through Interspace Attraction years and years and years ago for the Disney parks. But anyway, Scott wants to demonstrate his PIM tech by shrinking his suitcase so it will finally fit under his bed in the cabin. But he also has brought with him, somebody made a, a swan towel sculpture on his bed. And he brought that with him. And it, evidently something goes wrong because while the suitcase is shrunk down, the swan uh, towels thing becomes like 12 feet tall. And so sure, it's like, okay, right. we, we need to work on the tech. And But meanwhile, enjoy your salad. And then on the second attempt to, to get the tech working properly, you have these images that suggest that Scott has accidentally shrunk down the entire ship. In fact, there's a, a shot of a rather curious seagull about to, you know, to eat the Disney wish. And at the last minute, Scott is able to to get the ship back to normal. And then, okay, we, we move to our main course, and now we have our actual battle. And what happens first is that uh, we have Captain America, Sam Wilson, and Kamala Khan show up because they've seen this energy surge from the PIM tech and want to be sure that things are on the up and up. And even though on the show, we still have Kamala Khan and the Ms. Marvel limited series assembling her costume, she's in her full outfit for this uh, show for the Disney Wish. And to be honest, you know, now that I know the story about how the character, the role that she's playing in this this show for the Disney Cruise Line was originally written for Tom Holland. That maybe explains why Kamala, it's not the same level of performance that you, you get on the limited series. It literally is kind of a theme parky show performance. But again, it's it's Iman Vellani. It's just sort of like, wow, you're better on the, the show than you are on the boat. Anyway, long story short, Ultron also sees the signal, shows up on the boat. They proceed to have a battle on the upper deck of the boat, which involves the the Aquamouse water coaster and and all this. And it's the space that people on the cruise have been walking through the entire time. So it's like, wow, I know that space, and that's where they're having their battle. Anyway, it all, as you might expect, ends happily. That uh, Scott Lang is actually able to trick Ultron and shrinks him down into the quantum realm. And of course, nothing bad will ever happen because of that. And then Brie Larson basically shows up and takes out all of the rest of the clones. And, and, and if I have a complaint about the show, it's the fact that on the limited, you know, the, the Ms. Marvel limited series, they make no bones about Kamala is a is a huge fangirl mm-hmm. of of Ms. Marvel, and there is literally no interaction between these two. Bree's character shows up, takes out the Ultron clones, has a brief exchange with Anthony Mackie's Captain America, and then blips out. And only then 
does Milan Villani's uh, Kamala Khan come back into it? And it's just sort of like, wow, you had this moment. You could have done something with it. But Well, you know, there's also the fact that uh, so we'll have the Marvels movie come out. How long do you think this particular filmed type of event will stay on the cruise from now uh, until the end of eternity? Will they well. change it out after 20 years, five or 10? Because it might be the point where they go, oh, no, they're like sisters by now. They don't even care. You know, it's just like, oh, hey, what's up? See ya. That's, a, uh, that's you an know. interesting point. I mean, I do know that... Well, the animator palette show uh, that that inspired this has been playing for a decade or more at this point. So once right. they, they install these things, they play forever. Anyway, from a cross-promotional point of view, they, they do mention as part of the show both the Avengers Campus in Anaheim, likewise the soon-to-open Avengers Campus in Paris, which they sort of insinuate is up and running now. And speaking of, of cross-promotion, I don't know if you noticed today when you went to go watch Ms. Marvel, what they did with the title cards out ahead of the airing of Episode 5. What was interesting there is that understanding that Thor, uh, Love and Thunder, is opening at theaters in days. Right. What they did, you know, coming straight out of Ms. Marvel, it's, oh, by the way, have you noticed that we have the Thor collection? And then they had an additional title card that said, to prepare for Thor, Love and Thunder, be sure and watch Thor Ragnarok, which... Uh, At what get, point does this sound like homework? I, I get that. I, get <laughs> I mean, that. it's starting to a little bit, but okay. they kind of have to always have that promotional mindset. Hey, oh, no, this no, new no, thing's absolutely. coming out. Look at mm-hmm. the old thing we got over here. Mm-hmm. Go, go spend money over to the left at Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. All right, now come to the theater over to the right and buy a ticket to Thor over here. And, uh, oh, have you purchased a Thor toy lately? Yeah, I mean, I, again, nobody does this better than Disney, but sometimes it gets a little naked. Sure. By the way, you know, again, neither Aaron nor I at this point have seen uh, Thor Love and Thunder. Drew, uh, my co-host on Fine Tuning, uh, has, and he enjoyed it quite a bit. But the reviews so far for Love and Thunder have been good, not great. In fact, surprisingly, a number of them kind of go after Taika Waititi to the effect of, okay, you know, you, you, this is the same shtick as Thor Love and Thunder, but it's it's not quite as new and as fun this time around. Which I have to tell you, the, the guy from Variety pinned the needle in the exact opposite direction, just talked about how much fun it was to have a movie like this back in theaters. And, uh, you know, the, right. to definitely check it out. But you were talking about out ahead of getting to see Thor Love and Thunder that you, you've already heard some interesting things about things that got cut out of this movie, right? Yeah, apparently there was a lawsuit for Lena Headey. She was mm-hmm. apparently had been cast mm-hmm. and n- nobody knows what the role is, mm-hmm. just that she had been cast. And uh, now that she had been cut, and I don't even think that the lawsuit had anything to do with Taika or Marvel. I think it had to do with her casting agency and some contractual verbiage. Hmm. Okay. So it, it's not it's not like a huge deal that Marvel has to worry about. Mm-hmm. It's just a headline that popped up like, oh, she was connected to this, and there's a lawsuit, and uh, you know, whatever. 
And so I really did not put a lot of importance into it. It just brought up the question. I mean, people get cut from movies all the time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I didn't have a lot of weight into it, but it was the very first time that I had heard Lena Headey's name being attached to the movie, which was mm-hmm. only mildly curious. And then as I glanced through the article, mm-hmm. I real, uh, had also read that uh, Jeff Goldblum and Peter Dinklage were going to be reprising their roles, and they had also been left from the film. I don't know if they'd ever filmed anything, if they mm-hmm. if they had been written into the script and cut at script stage, or if they had actually filmed a couple of scenes and been cut there, but the original draft had them included, and that all came from uh, comicbookresources.com hmm. is where I browsed that from. Interesting. And, and speaking of, of stories from outside sources, there's a, in fact, you can chase down the, this piece of, of video was shot for Entertainment Tonight, and it's Taika Watiti walking Chris Hemsworth around the set for New Asgard, which in this movie has been uh, turned into a theme park slash tourist destination, which brings us to the, the image of the background that's supposedly upsetting pe- some people online. And it it's of an ice cream stand in New Asgard that is called Infinity Cone. <laughs> and I, and to, to to make sure that everybody gets the joke, there's a giant hand sticking out of the side of the building holding a waffle cone, but the giant hand is is inside of the the infinity gauntlet with the stones. Sure. And evidently, again, that there's a number of folks on online who have too much time on their hands and and complained about. Well, this is very insensitive. I mean, think about all the people who died in the blip and, you know, never came back. And it just is sort of like, okay, first of all, I don't think you understood what went on in, in Endgame and Infinity War. More to the point, it's a movie? You know, if Taika Waititi wanted to blow your mind, people, he would make it a same-sex waffle cone kiss. <laughs> and, oh, my goodness, it was strawberry and vanilla, people. I've never seen such, oh, I had to look away, Martha. Strawberry mm. and vanilla. Well, Waffle uh, cones, pieces the, everywhere. <laughs> the, the same person uh, goes on to complain to the effect, I mean, doing a Thanos-themed ice cream parlor is the equivalent of a, a Hitler or a, a Putin-themed ice cream parlor. And it's just sort of like, well, first of all, if, you, if you're saying that, you clearly don't know Taika Waititi's filmography. I mean, right. what was it, Jojo Rabbit from yep. 2019, where, yeah. which he, he directed and co-wrote. But that's the film where Taika himself plays Adolf Hitler as the imaginary friend of a, a, a little German boy during World War II, right? Yeah, the movie is, uh, it's powerful. It's, it's funny. It's, mm. it's got, but man, oh, Scarlett Johansson's in the movie. Mm. And uh, I'm just going to say the word shoes. He, he does such a wonderful job at framing some shoes in mm-hmm. this movie. And uh, man, it, it breaks your heart, and uh, we'll leave it there. It's it's a great movie. I, I recommend it. But yeah, he plays he plays Hitler, and uh, he, he's got no bones about doing something weird and no, wild. No, no. And, and if anything, given the fact that that Taika took home that year's Oscar for best adapted screenplay, I you know I I don't think using the Hitler 
Putin argument is going to work with this oh, guy. Oh, couple, a yeah. couple funny stories for Taika. He, okay. uh, I, don't, I can't remember where the interview was from at, but uh, he was quoted as saying that he had, um, when they were doing, oh, What We Do in the Shadows, the film. Mm-hmm. Yep. Peter Jackson just got done rapping The Hobbit in New Zealand. Oh. I heard this. Yes, please tell the story. Yeah, and and uh, so they didn't have a uh, budget for set or anything, and their I guess it was their set director or whomever was in charge of building set went and nicked a bunch of wood from the old Hobbit set as Peter was exiting, and that's what they ended up building their uh, their home for for what we do in the Shadows film. And uh, he goes, I don't know if we'll get in trouble. I love telling this story at parties. Uh, and I think, you know, I don't know if Peter's heard the story yet or not, but, uh, yeah, that's a wonderful little story from Taika there. Uh, another thing that I think is really funny, more on point to uh, Thor and what mm-hmm. we have coming up in our future, mm-hmm. Taika was recently interviewed and said that he added Thor's goat's tooth gnasher and tooth grinder to the movie mm-hmm. to mess with James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> Volume 3, and I guess this is like director's version of Hot Potato. Hey, uh, James, here's some goats. Deal with it. <laughs> uh, what are you going to do? Oh, I got to change my script real quick to deal with these stupid goats. Dear Taika, here's your Christmas card. Jack. <laughs> you got to love, get a, something like that where someone's got to knock the ball back into play. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, that brings us to the end of another edition of Marvelous Disney. And again, uh, you know, sorry we've been. Off the air the past week or so, I, first Nancy had something going on, and then health-wise, and, and you're dealing with something right now, Aaron, and I appreciate you making the time uh, to record, but we'll be back to our usual schedule next week. Uh, in the meantime, Aaron, uh, obviously, uh, you can, in fact, uh, why did you just post on social media that I... By George Lucas. There we go. There we go. My wife ordered that like last year. It finally got here. Okay, and and does he in fact have blue jeans and plaid shirt on under I that? I can't take him out of the plastic, so we'll never ever know. I guess so. Okay, well, can you tell folks where they can find you on social media? Yeah, head on over to Twitter. Uh, my handle, like a truck driver, click click, good buddy there, uh, rubber ducky, is uh, at. Azaprod, A-Z-A-P-R-O-D. Oh, Jim, by the way, I can't believe I forgot to tell you this. Mm. Thanks to Twitter, I found out I have a half-brother. Excuse me? I, I found out I have a half-brother through Twitter. I was, I was very excited about this. We don't, we don't know if it's the top half or the bottom half. But anyway, be careful in the water. Shark attacks still happen. And uh, I, I, uh, you walked right into I, it. I Swam did. right I did. into it. I did. I'm Where are you a, at on Twitter? <laughs> I am not a very bright man. Uh, okay, so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Uh, also, would like to point out we have a couple of other podcasts here. We've got Disney Dish that I do with Lentesta. Likewise, Fine Tuning that I do with Dutelia. That's Animation News. Uh, we should be getting a new looking at Lucasfilm out the door shortly. I got, I got to talk with Brian Gone about that tell you what if you could do Aaron and I a favor if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend the show you're listening to right now likewise if you really really like what you heard if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe uh, that would be helpful too and we will be back next week where we will discuss episode 6 of again what we hope is the first season of Ms. Marvel And but for now thanks for listening and we will be back soon <laughs>